This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 219, Realm of Fear. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week, we take apart an episode of Star Trek, molecule by molecule, then we put it back together and see what we've got. This week, Realm of Fear. The one where Reg Barkley faces something scary, only to face things even more scary. John's got trivia in just a moment, but first, let's talk about food. Yes, I'm 100% for it. Okay. For food or for talking about food? All of the above. Okay. 100%. Well, excellent, because that that works for us. Uh, Everybody listening uh, can get delicious food delivered right to their doors for free from Blue Apron. You know, the more I thought about this, there's something very Star Trek about the whole thing. You you go to your computer, you put in a few commands, and then without any more effort, delicious food just shows up. It's not not in a replicator, to be clear, (laughs) but in a box on your doorstep. Yeah. Yes. And a and I think you would agree with me in a well-packed box. Yes, it is a very yes. nice very clean everything's laid out it's labeled it's it's pretty thrilling actually to open yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So here's how it works. For less than $10 per person per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. You won't have too little and you won't accidentally buy too much. Uh, so, you know, less waste. And uh, potential savings as well. All right. I have been cooking up a storm with Blue Apron. Uh, Spicy peeled pork, fresh salmon, and an amazing, rich, seared chicken with mashed potatoes. And uh, honest, I I tell you, my friend Dan, who listens to our show, sent me a message asking me if it was legit good. And I can confirm right now that everything I have tried is legit good. Uh, I I wanted more. (laughs) So, yes, it is quite good. And there is plenty of stuff to try. Um, You can choose from a variety of new recipes each week. Or you can let Blue Apron's people uh, pick recipes for you. And they're not repeating the same recipes within a year. That, that to me, like right there by itself is kind of crazy. Like in a year, they're not going to repeat the recipes they pick. So you won't be eating the same thing week after week. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free. Absolutely free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. You will love how good it feels and taste to create incredible home cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. I'm telling you, don't wait. <laughs> Start today at blueapron.com slash mission log. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And a huge thanks to Blue Apron for sponsoring this week's show. Uh, the food is, is photogenic, by the way. I sent you a picture. Mr. Champion sent me a picture of, uh, of the food that he cooked the other day. And, uh, you know, if you would like a picture of John Champion's food, why don't you get in touch with us 
And you know, put in the put in the subject line pictures of John Champion's food. Be careful though, because once he starts, he just doesn't stop. No, it's it's a forever thing. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, and who knows, maybe one day, pictures of John Champion's food. Is missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Are you going to start a food blog? I think you should. I think you should. I, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I can just squeeze that in with everything else that I do. It's it's yeah. like a three days a week. It's pictures of things you've cooked at home. <laughs> Four days a week. It's things at Musso and Frank's. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> That'll just, it'll be a hidden page at Mission Log. And, yeah, that, that'll be yeah. exciting. So, so go good. there every day and look for that hidden page now. <laughs> hey, um, right. something, that, something that we don't hide. No, no, no. This does not go under a bushel. It goes front and center. Well, actually, it goes about four or five minutes into the show, but it goes front-ish. John Champion's Trivia. Today's episode, Realm of Fear, was written by Brandon Braga. Now, maybe not a big surprise to some people that this was a very personal story for Brandon. He had expressed his own fear of flying before, and he has said that he definitely could relate to Reg Barclay. And yes, there is some similarity, though not intentional, to the Twilight Zone episode Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, starring William Shatner. So there was a concerted effort at the script development to make sure that this episode was different enough so you weren't just constantly thinking about William Shatner yelling through an airplane window. And uh, the episode was directed by Cliff Bowl. We remember that Cliff started out with directing season one's Lonely Among Us, and he most recently directed The Perfect Mate. And he'll direct a few more next gen before jumping over to Deep Space Nine and later Voyager. Now, Dan Curry, we've talked about his contribution to special effects before. He came up with a design of the weird worm-like creature in the transporter beam. It was built as a foam latex hand puppet that Curry himself operated. And easily enough, they put him in one of those green spandex outfits and filmed him against a green screen to get the footage. We have an Oberth-class starship. Now, you remember this is the Grissom from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Very nice-looking science vessel, and here it is redressed as the Yosemite. And yes, that is named in honor of Yosemite National Park. We also have a very nice appearance of a SIG water bottle. So all of you water bottle fanatics, uh, you can point that out in engineering when it first shows up. And um, I thought it was kind of a funny prop note that the box Miles keeps his pet Christina in is the same box that Riker used to house the Albany meditation crystal that he gave to Beata in Angel One. You thought we were done with Angel One, but we're not. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. Did Riker ask for that back? He may have, you know, things did not end well between him and Beata. So he might have just, I'm going back to the Enterprise and I'm, wait a minute, I'm taking that box. You keep the crystal. Exactly, right. The box is mine. I need the box back. That was my mom's. (laughs) You can have the crystal, but I need the box. (laughs) Now, in this episode, they did actually adjust Chief O'Brien's rank down a bit so that he could take orders from Barclay, (laughs) right? Kind of funny, I wondered right? about that. I wondered mm-hmm. about that when he's like when he's all pulling rank, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Really? He he has rank? Okay, 
Yeah. All yeah. right. Now, if you want to get really technical, which I don't, but I read a little <laughs> bit about it, that I, technically you could say that O'Brien is enlisted, whereas Barclay is a commissioned officer. So th- there is a bit of separation, and technically a commissioned officer could give an order to an enlisted, uh, an enlisted man. But just to make things very clear, they, just, they, they bumped his rank down a little bit. So, okay, well, this time you're going to be a junior grade, and we'll move you up again next week. They actually did talk about the fact that he was an enlisted man with um, Sergei Roshenko, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Correct, yeah. Um, this is indeed the first time that we see what transporting looks like from the point of view of the person being transported, and it looks exactly like you think it would look. Sparkly, shimmery, then you're in a new location. And uh, more importantly, I believe this is the first mention of the Heisenberg compensator as part of transporter equipment, at least in in such a, uh, a phrase. The Heisenberg compensator makes its debut here, and we see it pop up out of the uh, out of the transporter pad. Now, in terms of guest stars, we really just have the people that we already know. Uh, Patty Yasutake is back as Nosegawa, and of course, Dwight Schultz as Reg Barclay. We also have a, a short appearance by Admiral Hayes that's played by Renata Scott. Not too many credits under her belt, a few TV appearances here and there, but she did appear on an episode of The A-Team, of course, with Dwight Schultz. Hey, Reg Barkley is in this episode. I wonder if he will play a big part in the story. Prologue. The USS Yosemite has been found. It was lost in a remote sector of space where it was investigating a plasma streamer. They've been silent for days, and that continues when the Enterprise finds the ship. In the plasma stream it had been investigating. Sensors are no good against all that plasma, and a away team will have to beam over to see if there are any survivors. Jordy's worried that there's too much interference to make it possible to beam back to the Enterprise later, though Reg Barkley has an idea. Bridge the transporters of the two ships, and they should be able to beat the interference. Beaming over won't be easy, though. Transporter Chief O'Brien says it might get bumpy, tingly, and it might take a while. And that is finally too much for Reg. Unbeknownst to anyone, Reg has a crippling fear of transporting. He leaves the transporter room saying he cannot do it. Riker, Worf, Crusher, and LaForge go on without him. Act 1. So yeah, Reg is afraid of transporters. Has been forever. He's managed most of his travel on shuttles. It's the whole being taken apart molecule by molecule thing that gets to him. Troy says it makes sense. You actually are being taken apart molecule by molecule. It's cool, though. Troy says they can desensitize Reg to the fear. They can start with a betazoid relaxation technique, and in time... Time, suddenly Reg thinks he can beam over. So, I'm good now. Bye. Aboard the Yosemite, the away team that actually went away, is faced with a mystery. There is no one on board. The escape pods are all there. It's a mystery. A mystery that's partially solved by the one dead guy Beverly just found. He's in rough shape, though the burns and such don't seem to be what killed him. Beverly wants to take him back to the Enterprise for an autopsy. On the Enterprise, Reg is talking over his transporter fear with O'Brien. Miles gets it. He's afraid of spiders. He overcame that one, though. One time he had to crawl into a Jeffrey's tube with 20 great big spiders to tank the tech on a techie thing. After that, he wasn't as afraid of spiders as he had been. And with that, 
Miles beams Reg to the Yosemite. Still a mystery on that end, and everyone's glad to have Reg join them to help. Added to the mystery, these broken bits of containment module Geordi's found all around the transporter. I wonder if that'll figure in. In his ready room, Picard is chatting with some Starfleet admiral. The Ferengi claim to have had a couple of ships destroyed by the Cardassians. The admiral wonders whether the problem with the Yosemite might be tied to the Cardassians as well. Picard will talk it over with Riker when the away team returns, which is happening right now. The last beam back is Barclay, and he's really getting good at facing his fear. Right up until that gigantic worm-like thing swims up to him in the matter stream while he's transporting and bites his arm. Act 2. Back in engineering, Reg and LaForge are working on the Yosemite mystery. Casually, Reg wonders whether Geordi has ever had a problem transporting. You know, has he ever seen anything? You know, like a thing? Because Reg thinks he did. Like, coming at him. He knows that that can't be, though. But LaForge thinks they better check it out. They'll run a full diagnostic on the transporter. Of course, that comes back fine. Everything is tip-top with the Enterprise transporters and the transporters on the Yosemite as well. Reg, Geordi, and O'Brien run even deeper diagnostics, though, with Reg saying the transporting is seriously scary. So much stuff could go wrong. And O'Brien and Geordi argue, yeah, but it almost never does. What about transporter psychosis? asks Reg. Are you serious? There hasn't been a case of that in over 50 years. In sickbay... Remember that dead guy from the Yosemite? Yeah, his heart's beating. Oh, and now it's not. Oh, but his brain's active. Oh, wait, no, it isn't. Hey, now he's breathing. Okay, he stopped breathing. In 10 Ford, hey, remember how Reg got bitten on the arm in the matter stream by the space worm? His arm is glowing now. He leaves his drink, which is totally unacceptable, and walks out. Act 3. Back in his quarters, Red sure is thirsty. Shouldn't have left that drink. He's also fidgety. Hey, computer, uh, what are the symptoms of transporter psychosis? Hallucinations, fidgetiness, dehydration, the water. And the computer says there is no known treatment for transporter psychosis. Crusher is telling senior staff about the undead dead guy in sickbay. He actually is dead. It looks like there was residual ionization in his system perhaps due to plasma exposure. But there's no evidence of plasma in the ship. Unless... Geordi wonders whether the Yosemite tried to beam plasma from the streamer aboard to check it out. If it exploded on the ship, that could solve some of these mysteries, including the case of the broken bits of containment module. In engineering, Geordi and Data have put together pieces of the container, and it sure looks like it suffered a plasma explosion... Also, Reg is acting all kinds of loopy. Data thinks Reg is worried about his own physiological condition. You know, whether he has transporter psychosis. Jordy will check up on him. He does. Tells Reg to take a couple days off. Then he tattles on Reg to Counselor Troy. She catches up with Reg, and yeah, he has been ditching her calls. He is way agitated. Too agitated. Troy relieves Barkley of duty. In his quarters, he's trying to relax. He wants to relax. Why can't he relax? Maybe it's a stupid glowing arm. Act 4. Unable to sleep, Reg has dragged O'Brien out of bed as well. They need to go over the transporters again. 
Let's do this. Can you recreate the exact conditions under which I beamed the Yosemite before beam me over, then beam me straight back? O'Brien says he can, though he doesn't get why. After a little arguing, Reg fesses up. Either there's a wormy thing in the matter stream, or I'm going crazy. And he has to know which one. Now O'Brien gets it, and he's happy to help. And sure enough, Reg sees the wormy thing in the matter stream. He tells O'Brien to wake the senior staff. He tells them the story, and hi, finally tells Crusher about his glowing arm. She can't find anything wrong with it, though. It's not glowing right now. Picard basically asks Barclay whether he has considered the possibility that he is crazy. I'm sorry, did I say crazy? I meant exhausted. Barclay says he saw what he saw. And that's good enough for Picard? He orders Geordi to order O'Brien to really take the transporters apart this time. He tells Worf to heighten the ship's security, and Beverly will look at Barclay's arm on a microscopic level. Hey, what do you know? His arm has the same plasma exposure as the broken container and the undead dead guy. He'd like to help out with the experiment Geordi and Data are doing in engineering. They're trying to recreate the experiment with the container done on the Yosemite, hopefully without killing anybody. And it works! And that the experiment is recreated including the explosion of the container. The containment field around the container holds, though. Geordi's visor is picking up little living things in the plasma. But that'll have to wait. Reg has collapsed, and he's starting to glow all over. Act 5. So here's what we're thinking. There are these little living things in the plasma. They reacted violently to the tests on both the Yosemite and the Enterprise, causing the explosions. These microbes are actually what Reg saw. The fact that they seem huge, even though they're tiny, is tied to spatial distortions in the matter stream or something. Beverly says there are some of the microbes in Reg's body. They can get them out if they can rig the transporter to see them and eliminate them. Of course, that'll mean Reg has to stay in the transporter beam for 30 or 40 seconds. So let's be clear. Do the thing you fear the most and maybe face more of those bitey space worms. Cool? Also, if you're in the beam too long, we could lose you. Let's go. While Reg is suspended in the beam, one of the space worms swims up to him. These, he realizes, are not the microbes. They are the missing members of the Yosemite crew. He grabs one, holds on, and the two end up back on the Enterprise. See, Reg realized suspended in the transporter beam, that the crew may have been trying to do the same thing, rid themselves of the microbes. He tells Worf that there are three more out there, or in there, or between. So why not give him a hug and bring him back? Everything's fine now. No more microbes in the transporter system, no more microbes in Barclay, and no more microbes in the Yosemite crew. In Ten Ford... O'Brien has a tarantula. Don't ask. The end. Oh, Ken, I'm so glad that we had a, a thrilling Cardassian and Ferengi subplot to sink our teeth into. I am assuming, I was going to ask you about this, actually. Is this mm-hmm. to bridge us to the problems that we're going to come across in Deep Space Nine? Well, Ken, you might assume right there. Yes. Um, the, the idea of just sort of keeping the Cardassians on the map. Right. Um, to say, hey, they're, they're bad guys. They're a threat. Right. Coming soon to a TV set near you. <laughs> How about this? They're bad guys, they're a threat, and they actually follow through with their threats. 
If they had say, like if the admiral had said, yeah, so the the Ferengi say that the Romulans destroyed two of their ships, Picard would be like, yeah, the Ferengi are lying because the Romulans right. never do anything. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the Romulans exactly. are so, yeah, they're scary in theory. I hear they were really something like a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then, then you had to watch out for them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, one other thing to get clear right away here, uh, whatever a hook spider is, I never want to see one as long as I live. Yep. Much less 20 of them. I hear you. It just sounds terrible. Yeah. So uh, I think, you know, there's this point that you brought up in the recap. Uh, So, Jordy, anything weird ever happened to you while you were transporting? (laughs) And I expect him to say, oh, you mean other than coming back out of phase with the rest of reality and thinking we were dead and being able to walk through walls? No, not really. Why do you ask? I am really beginning to think that you and I made up the next phase. (laughs) I think we did. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Because nobody remembers it. Like the people around Jordy don't remember it and Jordy doesn't remember Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. See also Time Zero and Time Zero Part 2. Right. (laughs) Right. But millions of people do it every day. Transport, that is. And only two or three accidents in the last 10 years. Okay. So I have a problem. I'm trying to remember if this was something that happened in... TOS or next gen? I feel like it was something that happened in TOS. So, first of all, only two or three accidents in the past 10 years. Is Jordy counting Roe and Jordy in that? Clearly not. I, I don't think he is. Maybe they're only thinking fatal accidents, mm-hmm. which, you know, they thought that was a fatal accident for a while. Turns out not to have been, so whatever. Also, so there was a time where the Enterprise thought it was orbiting a planet. Mm-hmm. And it beamed like two guys down to relieve two other people on the planet. Mm-hmm. But then it turns out they weren't orbiting the planet. Hmm. Now, I can't remember, was that TNG or TOS? Because we talked about the fact that whatever, like whichever one it was, basically they just beamed two people out into space. Right. 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 Does that count yeah. as a transporter accident or is that I, is that human error at that point? And so, I mean, it, it feels like you could actually probably catalog a lot of transporter accidents depending on how you count them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think what you just described is um, is operator error. It's not. Yeah. See, I would still call that a transporter accident, though, because you still lost somebody somewhere. Wow. Even if it is operator error. Now, I also can't remember which episode that was. So maybe that was 80 years ago. Maybe that was back in Kirk's time. In which case, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know. Right. Because Jordy said two or three accidents in the last 10 years. He could have followed it up with. And, of course, two of those were just last week. So we're like another nine and a half years before we got another worry. Or two weeks ago, I guess. Whenever the next phase (laughs) was. The next phase. The next phase. Was that actually an episode? I can't remember. No, nobody (laughs) remembers. No, no, nobody remembers. Right. Yeah. I like the dedication to scientific experiment in this episode. So this is the thing that probably doomed the people on the other ship. Great. Let's recreate it here. Yes. In in this room <laughs> that is central to engineering. I actually, I, so <laughs> you know? this is very nerdy, but I found myself wondering a lot of things about that. So they're a science mm-hmm. ship. They decide to beam plasma into their ship, but only with like a glass container which doesn't strike me mm-hmm. as the best idea. Maybe it was transparent aluminum, but still. Yeah. Did they not have a containment field around it? And if they did, was their containment field just not as strong as the one on the Enterprise? Because the right. one on the Enterprise, Barclay was like, wow, it's like maxed, but it's holding. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, was it just yeah? Because you don't want to give like you know really good scientific equipment to the you know science ship. The science ship, come on! <laughs> and it's got like a crew of five people anyway. I know. What so, do they need it for? Yeah. That's just that's yeah. just that's just nuts. Yeah, you say oh. dedication to experimentation, though. Man, they're just like right in there in that plasma streamer thing, right? Yeah. Was that oh, was that an accident absolutely. or was that like totally no. on purpose? I really we don't I know. Think it was do on we? purpose. Was it really? <laughs> yeah. Because they were they were wondering at the beginning they were like did it maybe get too close did it get pulled in something like that. Right. I mean, they didn't know. It might have been an accident. Could have been space worms. Yeah. Oh, except there aren't any. Well, they're they're part energy, part matter. No, those are the microbes. Space worms are people. Space, space worms. They, you know, I'm sure that I know some very nice space worms. <laughs> I, I would don't know if I'd call them people. Well, come on. But <laughs> yeah. So. Um, I, oh, th- there was a, a great moment. Uh, mm-hmm. Barkley is relaxing, and he's got the music going, and he's got the beach sounds, and he's got the seagulls. But at a certain point, there are too many, and Barkley said, seagulls, stop it now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they were poking at his head. Yeah, it was coconut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that'll that'll ah, be in my head for the rest of the day. Sorry, everybody. That's all, right. all right. One other thing about uh, Barclay. He has a space pillow in his room. Yeah. Um, but it was an interesting decoration. He had the space pillow, plain white sheets, and then he's just got like a couple of big plates right over his bed. I did not notice that. You didn't notice? It's just, you know, we need a thing to put on the wall. And, you know, he couldn't go down to Data's room and, you know, buy some art. So he's just got a couple of plates. Stuck on his wall, right over his bed. Nice. Yeah. He avoided getting one of those paintings by Data, which is good. That's you know. You do, well, <laughs> but but here's the thing: I bet Data's really fast. That's true, and he's really accurate. Like if you wanted a reproduction Mondrian, he's the guy to go to. I guess. Yeah. I, see, that's yeah. funny. I actually always pictured Data. I can't remember what his paintings look like. I always picture like starving artist stuff. <laughs> well, some of it is. Yeah, and so it's just straight up Mondrian because why not? He's a robot. Um, I was really hoping that the computer would replicate a five-gallon bucket of boiling salt water for Barclay. <laughs> and apparently I was not alone in this since uh, one of our li- – well, more than one listener, but Scott in particular, he kind of wondered the same thing. Um, I, that would have just been instant comedy, I think, for the episode. <laughs> Great yeah. spit take. <laughs> right. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So here's the thing. We're far enough along in technology now. And I still say we're just like sort of at the dawn of technology. At least I hope so. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if, this, oh, if yeah. this is really it. I mean, I love my phones, and my computers and all that stuff. I think they're amazing. But I'm also expecting sure. a lot more, you know, throughout my life and, you know, in years to come. Because otherwise my brain in a jar is going to be a brain in a jar. It's not going to be able to do anything. Yeah. What fun is that? Here's the thing, though. I, I, I actually think, yes, the computer probably would have given him the same glass of water he had before. I think if you don't actually, if you don't, you know, specify, then the computer is just going to do that. Like, mm-hmm. like my, my phone knows where I am. And if I go on vacation mm-hmm. and I drive like one day, my phone starts to pick up on where I'm staying now. Right. Right. So like when I'm home, it says, hey, you're only 10 minutes away from home. And then when I'm like 700 miles away from home, but I'm staying someplace else, it's like, hey, you're only 10 minutes from the place you're staying. Oh, yeah. It picks up on things, you know, contextually. Yeah. And and so as much fun as it would be, I don't think, you know, the computer is going to give him. Yeah. Salty, brainy water. No. So your phone isn't like, hey, you're 10 minutes from home. And here's a nice big bucket of 
boiling salt water when right. you get back. No, I think it's, it's, not, it's got a good no. idea of like, you know, a, a good idea of the kinds of things I want now. We're starting to build those sorts of things in. Okay, but, good. But, you know, in, in 1992, 93, when this episode came mm-hmm. out, that would be too much science fiction for even science fiction. Yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah. Um, it, it was kind of interesting. You talk about the uh, the, the space grubs. Um, that, you know, Barkley is just so sure there, there are more crew members in the beam. You've got to grab them and hold on. Also, before you get in their wharf, they look like giant grubs. But they're totally the crew of the Yosemite. Trust me. <laughs> That's great. We didn't see yeah. the crew, but we did shoot those space worms. So, <laughs> Right? Yeah. Yeah, at least they won't get eaten by those. The giant space worm is a great effect, but it is the worst Muppet ever. I feel like we're obligated right at the top mm-hmm. to talk about transporter stuff. Okay. Uh, this is, you know, I, I know it's a, a thing that comes up on Star Trek every now and then. What we talk about is, you know, people being killed on one end <laughs> and <laughs> rebuilt on the other end. Right. And if there's a delay, then which one is you and, and all this weird, you know, metaphysical existential stuff. Now, what was interesting is um, we established in the episode that if you're in there too long... Mm-hmm. Your signal will degrade and will lose you. Which doesn't happen, which doesn't happen to the people from the Yosemite because they had boosted the power enough that you could apparently stay in there forever. Right. Or or if you maybe pulled some hair from a brush, you could use Barclay's DNA and put him back together again and shave a few years off of his age. I think I learned that in an episode of Star Trek before. At that point, though, you're just using the transporter to recreate somebody. You're not actually transporting Mm -hmm. them. I want to ask you, because I'm curious about this. Mm -hmm. I think the first time we actually saw anybody move and knew that they were actively doing anything in the transporter was in um, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Yep. When they were all going, <laughs> right, because they were that was a transporter accident. They yes. were dying, yeah, but that was like eighty years ago, yeah. So that doesn't that doesn't even count. Right. Um, the first time we actually saw anybody doing anything intelligible in the transporter while transporting was when uh, Savick was talking to Kirk in Star Trek Two, right? Exactly right. Okay, yeah. am I right in thinking the only reason we were never able to move around in the transporters before was because special effects? You are exactly right. It was a freeze frame, and then you build the effect around it, and then you kind of explain it by saying, well, they have to be like in stasis before they're taken apart and put back together. Yeah, you see, I think, honestly, I think I like that better, and I'll tell you mm-hmm. why. Yeah. You can't take everybody's molecules apart on one end, put all of their molecules back together on the other end, but have them looking around. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. In the between time, right? Yeah. So like yeah. when, when Barkley's like looking around and that thing's like swimming up at him and all that stuff, I was just like, well, this is killing it for me. I'm not saying, I'm not, saying yeah. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not making the end of the episode thing, but I'm just like, okay, so now we've decided this is how transporters work. And I will say, neatest thing in the world when Savick is talking to Kirk as they're transporting. It made it that seem, blew my mind when I first saw that movie. Yeah, yeah, it made it seem like immediate. Plus, there was a really cool special effect thing. Plus, Savick, <laughs> which <laughs> right? I'm sorry, I was 12. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. whatever. Be quiet. It's, it doesn't concern you. <laughs> but, 
<laughs> but I, I mean, it like it really was the audio effect and also the immediacy of what was going on there. But then when I started to think about it, it's like, okay, well, we have established now. And then Berkeley even establishes with Troy, yeah, no, really, all of your molecules are coming apart. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how, mm-hmm. am I, how am I talking, looking around, all that stuff? I am totally on the same page with you because what, what we're given in the episode is fade out, fade in with sparkly white fade out, not a, not a black fade out, but sparkly and bright. And I, I guess, you, you know, you could argue that, that something happens and, and there's a moment of losing consciousness and then regaining consciousness. But I wondered how many molecules in my neurons that would take mm-hmm. before I actually am losing consciousness and regaining consciousness. And, you know, by the time my retina is hooked back up to that optic nerve and that optic nerve is sending a signal back to my brain where it's actually putting all of those things back together. O'Brien does warn Barclay that he might feel lightheaded when he's in the matter stream too long. And again, I would have to ask, okay, well, exactly which parts of the brain are together and working Mm -hmm. at that point? Because that seems to indicate there's a portion that is not. It seems like you actually have to put a person on pause or you have mm-hmm. to, you know, kill them yep. and then bring them back to life on the other end. Because think about what Barclay was saying in the whole thing. He's like, wow, so just one molecule is off. First of all, I doubt that. But, you know, I'm not a molecular scientist, so maybe that's absolutely true. But he's like, if just one molecule is off, poof, you're gone. Right. But right. they all work the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Well, exactly. Well, it, you know, it kind of goes back to this, you know, the, the old wise tale about how you only use 3% of your brain or you only use 10% of your brain. No, 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 no. If you lost 3% of your brain, you would not be you. So I, it, the idea that you could just sort of like be partially together in the matter stream and still aware of what's going on is, uh, yeah, that 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 was... A little strange, but you know, we, we got a new special effect out of it, and we yeah, got to see space worms. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I think what we're saying is uh, transporting. It's not brain surgery, but maybe maybe it ought to be, or maybe, maybe it actually it is. Be. Yeah. I maybe, don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Well, there's a handful of other topics raised by the episode that I I really like. I, I thought, you know, once we get past transporter nerdy transporter talk because we kind of had to <laughs> right um there, there are a few the psychological ideas in the episode are really interesting first is the depiction of phobias and i liked the way that that was handled because the phobia was presented not just as barclay is uneasy about something mm-hmm. it, it's really a true phobia is kind of debilitating and sometimes maybe even often embarrassing for the person who has it. Mm-hmm. So Barkley isn't just grumpy about having to go to a transporter. He isn't just uneasy because he'd rather take a shuttle. He literally reroutes his life to avoid the thing that he is scared of. Um, and then confronted with the idea of the transporter, he literally thinks that he's going to die during the process. And, and again, there might be some truth to that. <laughs> you know, existentially, if we talk about what the transporter does, but but yeah. he literally thinks that he steps in and he could go away and never come back if it's off by even a tiny fraction of a of a percent. You know, this actually it would have been great if it had been um, Jordy and Barclay in the next phase. Oh, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. We're totally allowed to rewrite that episode because we wrote it in the first time, apparently. Mm-hmm. It never happened. Yeah, yeah never, never actually happened. But, I mean, Barclay, mm-hmm. it is interesting that Barclay's fear is, I mean, because he doesn't say he's going to die. He was afraid that he would, you know, dematerialize and just never rematerialize. Mm-hmm. He'd, just, he'd just be gone. It's not even worrying that he's going to die. It's just that he's not going to be. Right. Which, uh, which would have been a great thing to see him run around <laughs> screaming his head off during the next phase. <laughs> and then there's another thing that I like here, which is the way that self-diagnosis is treated. Mm. Um, now, it, it is kind of played for comedy a little bit. It, it is serious. And, and this is another great thing about Dwight Schultz. Is he can really sell everything that's happening to that character. So there's something serious and heartbreaking about him being alone in his room and listening to the computer rattle off the the the, the possible symptoms of transporter psychosis. But there is something kind of funny about him reacting to it mm-hmm. as if he has each one of those symptoms at that moment. But I, I think it hits close to home these days in the age of Google and WebMD. You know, people who are not trained professionals mm-hmm. have the ability to look up information themselves and then completely mess up the context. You know, I, I feel like we're sort of right on the edge of where I hope we'll be that as diagnostic technology gets better and better, then even if you have access to information we're actually pairing that with more and more accurate diagnostics because I, I do think we're in this weird phase right now where just suddenly you can hop on a computer and you could really assign yourself pretty much any disease that you want by <laughs> by looking up by by looking up symptoms and applying them to yourself. Mm. Um, so that that was uh, a moment that I thought felt true, yeah. and probably more so true now. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, definitely more true now as far as the medical stuff goes. Honestly, I can't help thinking. Well, we don't just do that with medical stuff. It seems. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> all right. of a sudden, right? <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's so much yeah. more information available to us, um, and a lot of times we, you know, get a couple of bits of information and think we understand, you know, the whole. Yeah. Um, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave that there. Yep. Um, I also have to say that uh, I have a lot of respect for the way that the people around Barclay react to his phobia. Mm-hmm. In the episode, not one person talks down to him, and no one sort of rolls their eyes when he's out of the room. Yeah. That, that's the kind of thing that a lesser show may have actually done. Uh, I'm sorry, a lesser show like the first time we saw Barclay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, different writing staff, different approach. And yes, felt like a different show. Yeah, it was wonderful actually when Riker Riker never like clucked his tongue, Riker never like looked sideways at him. When when Barclay faced his fear and got there, Riker went up to him and said, I'm glad you could join us. And not not the way he would say it to Row. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. glad you could join us, Ensign Row. No, it's it's very much a hey, look what you did. No, no, mm-hmm. no, let's go. Let's go find giant space worms together. What do you say? Yeah, and it's absolutely a hundred percent the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no condescension at all. There's merely treating him with respect. They treat him as an equal, and and they get and respect where he's coming from, even if they don't believe his claims at first. When we get to the you know transporter problem with the giant space worm, um, 
so whatever the claim it is that he's making, it's worth investigating and treating the claim seriously. They don't lose patience with him. Um, the only thing that I thought was a little weird was Dana's recommendation at first of plexing, you know, which one has to wonder if it's only good for betazoids because I don't buy Barclay's sudden temporary cure from his problem. And it, clearly, he's meant to sell that he's not cured. It's just, oh, thank you. That worked. I'm, I'm getting out of here because it's more uncomfortable the more he talks about it with her. Oh, see, so, I, didn't, I didn't think that that's what that was at all. Honestly, I thought, no offense to anybody, but I thought that was just weak writing. Because remember, he lied to her oh, before. Really? He was like, yeah. hey, you're right. Everything's all better. And then he went back to the holodeck. If mm-hmm. this were just him being uncomfortable and wanting to get away, then I think he would have you know, done the plexing, walked out, and then hidden someplace. I, I really felt like this was, okay, we want to talk about his fear. And we'll talk about his fear again later. But we also need to get him over there so, they can, so, so we can give him something to really cry about. <laughs> Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And so, I mean, it, it, she and she sort of does the, hey, no need to rush. And he's like, no, 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 I have to rush. And it's like, you know, he has to rush so we can get to act two. See, I, I feel like it's the moment that he's talking himself into it, that that he's not over the fear. He hasn't been cured. Tapping his neck did not cure him of anything. It's just like, oh, OK, I got a little bit of a pep talk. Now I'm going to force myself to do this. And mm. then he will allow himself to be terrified from that point on, I guess but really my only point there is that it, it's one thing to have the phobia or the illness, something else entirely to hear from everybody else that, you know, with their suggestions on how you should approach it. Now, fortunately, Deanna is the right person for him to talk to. But right. Deanna knows because she knows with everybody, like, say, helping Worf become a better father. This is not the thing we're going to fix in 10 minutes. <laughs> this is right. the thing that's going to take a very long time to fix. Yeah, it's good. That, I mean, although you do sort of have the whole, like, um, Jordy and uh, O'Brien thing later of, of, look, everybody does this and almost nobody dies. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, which is never, right. it, that's never, that's never a good way to do it. I mean, I, I, honestly... All right. I felt like this episode was actually kind of mean, uh, both to Barkley and to me personally. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> or, or to All the right. viewer, I guess. Um, I do not have a phobia of flying, but it is far from my favorite thing. Uh, just like, and not because it's just uncomfortable because I get all that. I'm actually with Louis CK on that one. Oh, really? The woman was mean to you. And then did you fly through the air from one side of the country to the other? <laughs> I'm not going to complain so much about the creature comforts. I mean, if you're not going to let me bring a bag on board, then I'm going to get a little upset. But otherwise. Sure. Right. I mean, I get over I get over my fear of flying, my discomfort with flying, however you want to say it, um, when I need to. And, you know, then sometimes just when I want to, like I mm-hmm. wanted to go to Disney World uh, from Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I only had so many days, so I wasn't going to spend two of those days, you know, four of those days, I guess, driving there and driving back. Right. Right. I would actually love to do a road trip to Vegas because I love driving across the country. And that's not just because mm-hmm. I like to avoid flying. I mean, I just love, you know, the call of the open road, that whole thing. Um, it's not really overly practical, though, if I'm going to Vegas for four days for, a you know, Star Trek convention or five days or eight. <laughs> to, <laughs> As it may be. Yeah. To spend so many days, uh, you know, driving across the country. I can tell you I was made uncomfortable by the obvious fear of flying message in this episode. And I get why we want Barkley to get over his fear. But here's the thing. We get him over his fear, which seriously made me a tiny bit uncomfortable. 
And then comes the difficult work of finding out, oh, oh, by the way, your plane actually is going to crash once you're on it. Because that's basically what happens, right? He is afraid of Mm. doing this thing. He conquers Mm -hmm. that fear. He Mm. nearly gets eaten by a monster and dies. (laughs) And that strikes me as a little like, that strikes me as needlessly mean. We've now gone from after school special to don't go into the woods. Or, you know, scream or something like that. Yeah. And and I get we still end up working through it a bit more to get more. But I, I, it, it just struck me as mean to go from don't be afraid of flying to nearly crashing his plane. I mean, that's really struck me as incredibly uncool, just like an incredibly uncool thing to do. Hmm. Yeah. Well, now that you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I will see you in August, my friend. <laughs> whenever that happens to be, whenever now is. It just, it just. I guess we'll come back to the message moral meaning thing. I'm just telling you what sort of my feeling was like most of the way through this show. It's like, okay, yeah. we're going to get you over your fear, but then we're going to show you there actually really is reason to be afraid. I mean, it really sure. was. And in a lot of ways, it was nightmare at 20,000 feet. Right. Well, uh, to be to be fair. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But uh, to be fair, you know, again, the the problem isn't the underlying technology of the transporter. The problem is this one weird thing that happened with this plasma distortion, (laughs) with the quasi energy beings. You know, there's a whole lot of other stuff that has to go wrong. Weird thing, though, that happened when he was doing the one thing of which he was afraid. Very true. Very unfair. That, that strikes, <laughs> Very me not, unfair that strikes me as not nice, you know? Let me just, yeah. sorry. No, it, it, it does yeah, provide a little, uh, well, it's a little maybe abusive toward Barclay. But, in, in, you know, to Barclay's benefit in this episode, I like that he becomes empowered through discovery, through, through self-discovery and through scientific discovery in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is terrible that he is going through something difficult and potentially life-threatening. But there's a moment in the show. It's at the moment when Dr. Crusher confirms what's going on. Yes, I found this happening in your left arm. That he's got a renewed motivation to do his job. His body language changes, and he's ready, and he tells Riker, I want to go back in there, and I want to fix this. I want to solve this. It's a great moment in the script, and it's a great moment for Barclay. Don't know if it redeems the cruelty that you felt (laughs) in this, but I think it's a nice moment to see the character actually experience that. Ken should not worry about cruelty to Barclay, for that is silly. Instead... He should try to remember the truth. There is no Barclay. Ladies and gentlemen from the flight deck, we're making our approach to the messages, morals, and meanings segment of the show, where they uh, fly by a few meanings, morals, and messages as well. We know you have a choice of Star Trek podcasts. We suggest you choose all of them. But thanks for spending part of your day with us. <clears throat> Realm of Fear, John. We, we're, we're to the part where we do the meanings, morals, and messages and figuring out whether the whole thing uh, holds up and whether it stands the test of time. Talk to me, if you would, please, about uh, this episode and whether you think it holds up. All right. Let's, let's land this, Ken, shall we? <laughs> um, the, uh, the episode, yeah, as an episode of Star Trek, I, it mostly holds up. I'm, I'm going to put it kind of right on the other side of just holding up. It's a fun one for transporter geeks Mm -hmm. out there, sure. I I wasn't too terribly invested in the 
science-y explanation for what's going on, but I was definitely invested in what was happening to Reg. And we've remarked over and over that, you know, the hand-waving tech-the-tech stuff is really just background noise to so much. It's really about the story. It's really about the character. It's really about what he goes through or or whomever the story might be about. So I was invested in that. Mm -hmm. Now, that said, I kind of sort of wish that this had happened to someone other than Reg, or at least I kept playing that out in my mind. He's already only been presented as someone just plagued with problems. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know who that other person should or could have been, um, but it would have been interesting to see someone who up until now hasn't been derided by others as having a problem. I feel like we only are given Reg when there's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so in that case, maybe it is a little bit cruel to Reg to just constantly throw him in there. Um, so I, I, I was trying to play it out with somebody else in my mind, but I never quite come up. It never could quite come up with who that would be. Yeah. I mean, what about you? Well, I mean, that's a problem. I mean, it's got to be a guest star because it can't be yeah. like suddenly yeah. Jordy's afraid of transporters. That's something they would have done on TOS. Honestly, hmm. they would have like, you yeah. know, some character yeah. that we knew. Lieutenant Call perhaps might have had a problem with transporters that we never know about. <laughs> I mean, you need it to happen to somebody that we know, but it needs to be somebody that we don't see every week. And so I can't think mm-hmm. of who else that could possibly be. I mean, we've seen we've seen Wes beam on and off the ship far too many times. Um, it's got to be somebody, though. It can't be like a new character because it's got to be somebody that you have like a, a slight hope, even like a 10% hope that people are going to believe him when he makes the captain, you got to believe me speech because right, I mean, yeah. he's, he's going to have at least that much history. It can't just be that weak. Um, unless then it becomes like that guy who beamed aboard the enterprise, like during the whole, you know, convinced him that he'd been part of the crew when the whole crew had mm-hmm. amnesia. <laughs> Funny enough, I can't remember the name of that episode. But. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, it's hard enough to buy that from Reg, but it would have been impossible to buy off anybody else except, I mean, maybe Guinan, honestly, Maybe Guinan, mm, but then the thing okay. is, why does the bartender get to go on the away mission? Right, <laughs> right, right. I mean, right. So, so, I mean, yeah. I can't, I, I see what you're saying. I just can't think of who else it could have been except for, yeah. uh, except for Reg. Harry Mudd, maybe. Oh, there, there you go. <laughs> but come to think of it, then we would have needed it to be Kirk, not Picard. So that doesn't work either. I, I'm yeah. sort of with you. I see this episode as like, you know, okay. I like the Barkley character, mm-hmm. but I feel like he's actually been used better in other episodes. Uh, you're right. Mm-hmm. He's always played with problems, but I, I buy his problems more. I oh, think, sure. In a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before this episode, I mean. Uh, that said, it's good to see him back. I mean, I feel like everything else, I feel like the stuff that happened at the end was like a little too pat. Mm-hmm. Though you kind of had to get to that to get to the message, which or at least the message I picked up, which if you don't mind me transitioning to that part now. Yeah, and I'll go right ahead. Do the scary thing. <laughs> but doing the scary <laughs> thing is not necessarily the end of doing scary things. I mean, he does the thing that he fears the most. And then not only does he have to do that again, but he has to, you know, face these other fears as well. They're like brand new. So I guess in that respect, I like that it wasn't just a fear of transporters episode. I mean, it was that fear compounded by another fear, compounded by yet another fear that leads to better things for everybody, including uh, the recovery of people that they didn't even know. I mean, they just assumed were dead, not people that were lost. So, I mean, doing the hard thing is difficult. And I mean, you kind of want it to be like in the movies. I mean, I guess that's kind of a cool thing here, right? 
the end of Ferris Bueller's day off, they wrecked Cameron's dad's car. <laughs> and they're trying to figure out how they're going to get out of it. But Cameron says, no, no, he's going to have to face it and we're going to have to deal. Mm-hmm. And I think you're supposed to think that they live happily ever after after that. Mm. I kind of doubt it for Cameron. Right. And so in a way, I like the fact that at the end of this, well, not the end, that Barkley faces his fear and they're like, oh, by the way, there's plenty more stuff to be afraid of. <laughs> and maybe True. that's maybe that's why it felt cruel to me in the episode, because I'm used to TV saying, if you just face your fear, everything's going to be OK. And it turns out, you know, if you just face your fear, there might be 19 more and some of them <laughs> might be monsters. <laughs> yeah. 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 Go on. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it's a good I guess it's a good message, but it's not really an enjoyable message. No. No. What, not, what about you, not sir? Not for Reg about, Barkley. No. No, uh, not for Reg Barkley. Not for, yeah, right, yes. <laughs> I know. I, I think maybe what I picked up is is a little more pragmatic. It, it's um, do not self-diagnose. Uh, okay. well, that's get, good. Yeah. get help when it's offered to you. But but in, in all seriousness, and, and more importantly, I, I, I love that feeling that, like I said, the people around him at no point treat him like he is a problem because mm. of what he's going through. I think that's so rare to see. Certainly it's very rare to see in real life, but it's also rare to see on TV where things do have kind of a tied up happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there so often you're presented with a character who's, who's got a problem, who's struggling with something. And Barkley has always been presented as the outsider, the misfit who isn't quite as good as everybody else there, but nobody at any point in this episode treats him like that. And it's a really nice thing to see because he had been treated so badly earlier when we were first introduced to Barclay. So I think it's a really cool thing to see in this episode. So there's a message in that. Yeah, don't don't be a jerk to someone who needs help. <laughs> you know, I mean that's pretty clear cut. Yeah, pretty clear cut, and uh, that holds up. It has to hold up. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more about all kinds of stuff that Roddenberry's into, from from entertainment things to uh, the Roddenberry Foundation, to stuff that they would love for you to buy. (laughs) Find it all at roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That is trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, Man of the People. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Please be careful opening the overhead compartment, as contents may have shifted. Also, there may be giant space worms. And transmission.
If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.